At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors, and add blocks. No custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com wondersuite. That's bluehost.com wondersuite. Hey everyone, Yas here, and I just wanted to say it's great to have you join me today because I'm sure we're going to have another fantastic episode. So whether you're here for the first time or if you're one of the repeat loyal listeners of the show, I truly appreciate you. But before we get to today's guest, I just have a small favour to ask, and that's if you could just take a brief moment to hit the subscribe button if you haven't already. Ensure that you share it with all your coaching friends, and don't forget to get in touch, guys. Let me know your thoughts on what you think of today's episode or any of the recent episodes you've listened to. You can do this on Twitter, at TheCoachesNet. Once again, that's at TheCoachesNet. And please make sure you do, as I'd love to hear your thoughts, guys. Anyway, one final announcement, guys, before we get to today's show, is that I'm delighted to announce that in partnership with Middlesex University, the Amateur Football Alliance, Middlesex and London FA, respectively, that the Coaches Network will be hosting its first live event on Friday the 1st of April, where I'll be joined by the legendary ex-academy director of West Ham United, Tony Carr. Tony will be joining me to discuss over four decades of youth development with West Ham United and to share some key insights from his upcoming book, which will be released on April 11th. And to top it off, guys, anyone that's an FA licensed coach will also be accredited for two hours of CPD for their attendance. And this is all for only £10. It is an evening not to be missed. And to top it off, until the 23rd of March, we have limited early bird tickets for only £7.50 each. So to find out more information or to register your place, please head over to Eventbrite or click the link in today's show notes. And I hope to see you guys there. But enough of my ramble on and on to today's show. The Coaches Network. Hey guys, you're now listening to the Coaches Network podcast, a podcast aimed at anyone who's passionate about athlete, talent and personal development. My name's Coach Yas and I'm a UEFA A-licensed football coach coach developer and content creator. I'll be sitting down with a range of guests to discuss their journeys, their life lessons and how you can make an impact. Enjoy. Right guys, welcome back to the Coaches Network. My name is Coach Yas and I've got a very special guest for me today. My guest today is Nick Winkleman. Morning Nick, how are you? Yes, I'm doing very well. How about yourself? Very well, thank you. And I'm really looking forward to this conversation today, Nick. Um, Nick, just before we get into the heart of it, um maybe just share a bit of an insight around who you are what you do and then we can kind of just tear it off from there for sure for sure so okay uh, <laughs> i feel like the problem is yeah these these intros keep getting longer and longer 
Um, so I'm going to try to keep this one fairly short so we can focus on the good stuff. So background, I've been a strength coach now for close to 20 years. My, my first job at 15 was in a gym. So I, I've, I've always been a gym junkie. I've always had a passion about physical performance, human performance. Uh, so my, my journey has taken me through a number of different sports, uh, a number of different contexts, now a number of different countries. But the, the, the core focus for me is on movement skill development. That's kind of been, if you would, the crucible or the canvas on which my career has been based. So it started out in the United States, working with NFL athletes, preparing to go to the NFL by the NFL Combine. And so all their speed, all their agility, their 40-yard time, all that was under my care at a place called Exos, formerly Athletes Performance. And so I ran that program, that division, for seven of my 10 years there. All the while, I was heavily involved in coach education. So I've always had an interest in coaching and thinking about coaching. And so I think that's probably part of, of how my career path has, has shaped itself. In that time, you know, and I think this is true of every coach, Yaz, you find, you find a bit of a signal, you find a bit of a corner, you know, call it a niche if you want, that really stands out in, in the spectrum of, of all things that you could engage uh, in. And for me, I kept going back to the act and art of coaching, the, the actual skill, the habit, the behaviors that we express when we're in front of an athlete trying to make them better. And within that space, by chance or choice, it was communication that really stood out for me as a rate limiter in that it was my ability to get ideas off the program and into the person that seemed to really make a difference. And part of that was because when I'd have these athletes, we had eight weeks to prepare them to go into the NFL combine. Wasn't a lot of time. And these were already some of the most elite American football players, right, within the country. Many of them were already guaranteed first-round picks. And so we're talking about small margins of change you were able to make. And so to gain buy-in and to gain influence, a lot of it came down to the effectiveness of your communication and connection. And so long story short, I went on to study this deeply. It's still my passion. I've been onto it for over 15 years ran into a PhD with these ideas, inevitably wrote a book called The Language of Coaching back in 2020. And all of it centers around the intersection between what we say as coaches and how it is perceived and applied at the level of, of learning how to move better. And so that's, if you would, the, the heartbeat of, of who I am, what I'm about in this industry. And, and as of late, I joined uh, Irish Rugby. In 2016, I uh, can't believe it, it's been now almost 12 years we've been here, and I'm fortunate to work across national, provincial teams, supporting all of our great coaches and players uh, to be the best they can be. As cliche as that sounds, that really is uh, the, the job on the tin. Awesome, and I, I, think, and I really love what you said there, Nick, about defining your niche, because I think this is really what's brought me to actually want to have you on the show and, and just really discuss this in detail because that niche you talk about, that communication piece is something that I really kind of, I've really been attracted to myself. And, you know, it's conversations I have with many coaches in the past is do some people just not get it? Yeah. Um, whether that be players or be coaches that you're working with, whether you, you know, in any capacity. 
or is it actually I'm just maybe not communicating in a way that they understand it um and then yeah I mean, where that really started for me was as I was going through my own coach education um there would be a lot of things and I probably I probably I say it probably happened to me at a younger age anyway but I guess I've been more consciously reflective of it through my coach education because that's maybe when I started to become passionate about learning if you like um there'll be times where things are explained or said or whatnot it's just I don't, I don't get it I don't get it yeah um so I st- I would kind of one of my own genius how do I make more sense of some of this stuff um and then one of the yeah. things that really kind of worked for me is I started developing visual images of everything that was kind of explained to me now yeah you know, there's many ways to skin the cat, but that, that I found that really started to work for me. And then, you know, once upon, then there was one time where I was then speaking to one of my friends who's also a coach and I was explaining to him, him the way I, I see things. He goes, whatever you've just done there has just made things incredibly simple to understand. And then it, then it, it kind of dawned yeah. on me, it's like, okay, fine. So if this obviously works for me, then it's an obviously a strategy that I can then utilize within my coaching to support others. So I guess, there's a couple of questions I've got for you in there. First of all, you, you really talk about finding that niche. Now, a lot of coaches that I've come across maybe don't know what their niche actually is. And how, I mean, how do we get to finding that niche? Because obviously for you, you said you kept on coming back to that communication piece. But there's a lot of yeah. people that maybe go around it about the other way, where they're trying to pick a niche rather yeah. than a niche that's picking them, if that makes sense. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I was just I was just going to phrase it like that. And, and this this chose me more than anything else. I, I found an unavoidable interest and recognition of its power. And so if I can just provide an anecdote that's only hit me recently, I was talking to uh, my book publisher and I was sharing th- this idea. I said, imagine if you lived in a world where you could see the future and you knew you, you lived in a world where strength training, right? Gym, strength training and gyms did not exist. But imagine you knew you had the full power of the future that you knew how important strength training and physical development was to, to, to life itself, let alone those in sporting endeavors. Imagine if you had that, that burden and you felt compelled to convince and share and guide the world to inevitably understand the role of this unbelievably powerful tool that nobody's availing of. That's how I feel, yes. And, and, I, and I'm not exaggerating. Uh, I, I'm not trying to sound preachy or standing on a soapbox. My firsthand experience in engaging with the habits behaviors underpinning evidence and intuition that supports a communication approach as you say that makes it unavoidably easy to understand an action what has just come out of my mouth feels almost like a superpower and to to pick up on something you said earlier we so often knowingly or not place the burden of understanding on the recipient on the learner. And I don't think we take nearly enough responsibility, although I think it's changing, especially in this part of the world, on the teacher for having to take a greater level of responsibility, as you say, 
in translating, converting, transferring what we're trying to offer into a medium, whether it be verbal or visual, that the person on the receiving side can understand. And I think just to put a bow on that, one of my favorite coaches, John Wooden, who is a famous basketball coach, notably for UCLA in the United States, who's since left us, you know, he said famously amongst a barrage of other quotes, he said, you know, you have not taught until they have learned. He strictly took probably too much responsibility, even though he wouldn't have said it. But I do align to his vision that we take on the burden ultimately, of their understanding. Because you don't choose what you understand, yes, right? You can't forcibly say, yep, I'm going to make myself understand Russian if I've never studied and learned how to speak Russian. It's not within your control. And so once we recognize that athletes are not deceiving deceiving us, they're not trying to not understand, they're not trying to be difficult, they literally cannot understand. And if, if for anyone who has children or have watched or tried to communicate to children, you know this, their, their innocence and their ability to say to you, mom, dad, you know, grandma, grandpa, I don't know what that means. Like they're beautiful at it. Whereas adults, we might have the same thoughts. We just don't verbalize them out of fear of coming across as rude. And so ultimately, once we name all this, we recognize it. And we dive into this this intersection of communication and understanding, we find that there's some beautiful tools at our disposal if if we only allow ourselves to study and embrace them. And I I think I think you're spot on. And there's a couple of things that really jump out to me there. And it's people say there's I didn't talk about learning styles, as an example. Yeah. Right. Um, they say, oh, you've got a dominant learning style. Uh, my approach has always been well, not always been, but more, especially more recently in the last few years in particular. Just give it to them anyway. Just give it to them. You don't know what, you don't know who's going to pick up what and in what ways. Yeah. You know, one, one of, you know, over the last three or four years in particular, I've been working a lot in the coach education space and help in supporting the development of the coaches. And one of the things that really has stood out for me personally is coaches maybe not leading with some sort of visual demonstration at the start of any session or any, any new concept, any new practice that they're trying to implement within, within the group or, or the individual they're working with. And what ends up happening is, and I've seen it time and time again, I'm sure you've been there as well, where they go through a process of telling people what they want, yes. to, telling people what they expect to, to, to come out from what's happening. Um, and then they ask the worst question in, in coaching history, in my opinion, do you understand? Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. Adults, kids, listen, people are going to tell you, yeah, just because they want to crack on with it. Yeah. Reality is, I mean, what's something that I've picked up along the way is, right, I'm going to show you and tell you at the same time. So for me, it's the show and tell approach. And if you don't quite get it, no problem. Let's stand back and let's watch it. <clears throat> and then we can kind of discuss what you're, what you're seeing uh, yep. and what you're paying attention to. Um, because if you just go with the telling aspect of it, more often than not, I, I notice that coaches end up having to show it anyway. Yeah. So yep. save yourself that time, just show it to them. And if they're still not quite sure, then we can tell them more if we need be. Absolutely. Now, the, the piece on top of that is actually quite the just type of questions. And the reason, the reason one of the real uh, things of really interesting to kind of having this conversation with you is that 
it's, I know a lot around your work is around how you how, how you do communicate and the types of maybe potential questions you ask and uh, the way in which you phrase things. For yes, to understand or the athletes to understand, and I think for me that, it, like you said, it's that powerful tool. You've got that burden, and you've like you've got this powerful tool that you know works. Now, getting that message to other people to understand is not always as simple as that. No. Um, other people that are going to be like, "Well, no, I've been doing it this way for years. Okay, cool, you be doing it your way, but this is a way that I know it works. I don't, I can't tell you why it works, but I know it works. Yeah, through experience. So, and, and quite often, what people will then see is, well, the information actually is not any. The information is the same information you've got. I'm just packaging it in a way where it's just simple yes. for this person that I'm talking to in this moment to understand. And I'll give you an example. Working with a player at the moment, um, he's currently working. He currently um, is in the Premier League academy, and they, you know, he came to me just before Christmas and basically said, to, uh, you know, I need some support. This is what's happening. They told me that they, you know, I could be on the verge of potentially being released. Um, but I need to improve on X, Y, Z. And the first thing that, that kind of stuck out to me is, okay, well, what do you know about X, Y, Z? What are the challenges that you're facing? Because it, it might not be the information that I need to give you that is impacting on you. Yep. It's just maybe the way you've understood what they're telling you. So I need to understand yes. what your perceptions of those things are. And I think you maybe just speak into that a little bit. What are some of the key questions that you think that maybe coaches could potentially be asking athletes and some potential instruction if you like or guidance that coaches could be given to the athletes and maybe even other coaches around where to maybe direct and guide their attention to because yeah. that's one of the biggest challenges for a lot of people yeah absolutely yes so there's um brilliant by the way just your your articulation of some of the the perennial coaching problems coaching challenges that we have is is spot on in my experience. So maybe I can just touch on a few different things and then we'll get to the, the question that you pose there at the end. I think the first thing you talk about is I love the show and tell. I love the show and tell. And you're right. We so often emphasize the tell. And even on the athlete side, sometimes our athletes are better at telling us what they should do than demonstrating it. So it, it's a two-way street. And what I think we always have to remember, not, not to assume that everyone has forgotten, is that our athletes, whether they be footballers, rugby players, and the like, they don't take a written exam, right? They go out on Saturday, Sunday, and they play. They have to express. They have to act out. They have to demonstrate. They have to show their understanding. And I think coaches need to deeply lean into that and ask themselves, are they creating a climate of understanding that is more intellectual or attempting to be more intellectual than it is physical? And so it goes right back to what you said that you need to show and tell. Now, now in my own work, I call that describe and demonstrate. And I, and I represent that by kind of these reciprocating arrows. It says, listen, sometimes you demonstrate first, sometimes you describe first, sometimes you might overlap the two. You know, if I'm teaching a movement, let's say like a, a hinging pattern or a single leg RDL, I might say down, pop. And so in that case, I'm using language on top of a visual, kind of like a beat of a drum to help get this metronomic type sense of how the movement or the skill needs to come to life. And so I could not agree more. Now, what I want to pick up there, though, is on a very specific point 
that I feel unlocks what you're pointing to here. And that is coaches know this, whether or not they can verbalize this, they know this. And that is there are two forms of knowledge they are trying to generate in their athlete, two forms of understanding, to use that word again. The first one, and this is the one that we emphasize at times too much, that is the knowledge of what to do, right? That's the intellectual. That's the verbalized bit. That's the capacity to discuss, let's say, the skill at hand, knowledge of what to do. It's almost like the step-by-step instructions of building a Lego, okay? That's the knowledge of what. But then the other form of knowledge, and this is the one we neglect, I feel, it's the knowledge of how. It's the knowledge of show. It's the knowledge of actioning. And so ultimately, let me be very clear for the audience, we're not saying it's an or situation. We're saying it's an and. We want to develop both. Now, let me pause for a moment and put an anecdote that I believe everyone listening can relate to. And that's the athlete that in one way or another says the following, coach, I know what to do. I just don't know how to do it. The one who can verbalize exactly what needs to change, but cannot act it out. And what that tells us is these are two distinct forms of knowledge. We've philosophically known this since the days of Aristotle. They've been talking about these forms and it's as relevant as it was then today. And so this is where now your question around how to phrase things in a particular way, how to use questions to involve the athlete. What you're pointing to with those questions to me is, well, basically, how do we develop a knowledge of how to do something? How do we bring in this other ingredient? And so I'm going to pause because I see you wanting to jump in here and then we'll pick it up. So go for it. You've really started to unpack something that I, I, I like to talk about a lot with coaches and it's, the how is so important. And I think this is where a lot of coaches potentially could get it wrong. But, but before we move, delve deeper into that part, the question I want to ask you is, um, and I've got my own opinion on this, how important is it that players or athletes do understand the how in terms of the mechanics, the timing um, and, and everything in terms of that, that aspect of, the, the skill, the movement, or whatever it is they're performing. How important is it for them to be consciously aware of how are they doing it? I mean, like I said, I've got my own opinion on it. Um, yeah, yeah. Instead of just being able to do it and not really explain it, if that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So if, if I can just phrase what I heard you say in my own words, I, I, what I hear the question is, is how important is it for the athlete to be able to tell, to verbalize what to do? Is that is that yeah, yeah, I guess so, because I guess where the question comes from and, and why I strongly believe, in my opinion, they must know the how. They have to know the how, because it's only with the how that if things get to a point where maybe they're not working anymore, they know where to go back and maybe address it. They know where yeah, to, yeah. Or, or if things yeah. are working, they know the why behind it. And yeah. it's only with that information. And I, maybe this is largely part to the way I would like to work towards developing my athletes to become interdependent rather than independent or dependent on myself. Yeah. To the point where actually they're able to verbalize, like you said, um, their understanding of whatever, whatever the, the component is, but they're also able to explain to me 
and the, the, I guess the, 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 the words that I like to use or the phrase that I like to use is they can, they can break down the recipe for me. They can yeah. break down yeah. the recipe for me. So we know straight away, actually, you know, these pancakes were off because we didn't add the egg before the flour. And they can address that. Now, it's yeah. not to say that that recipe that they've got is the one and only recipe that works, but they have a recipe that works for them and they are yeah. aware of what that recipe looks like, if that makes sense. Exactly. So I... I think I'm in, in, in principle degreeance with what you're saying here. It, it all comes down to how it comes to life in, in, in real life, in action. Sure. And so for me, it's important that an athlete intellectually understands, and, and we're, we're using, we're overlapping terms here. I'm going to use, it's important for them to know what to do. And when I'm using the, I think I'm using the word what possibly yes how you're using the word how and that what to do is hey i need to be in this body position or this needs to happen before that or in this situation this is where i need to go this is how i need to act this is kind of what we refer to as the knowledge of of what to do to talk about the movement yeah. I, and we might globally call that their ability to verbalize it or tell um, then we have the other piece is their ability to shut their mouth and just do it to demonstrate to you their capacity to bring it to life. Now, the question I'm hearing is, how important is the is is the, the former um, on the latter? How important is the not their knowledge of what to do, the ingredients, the recipe? I'm hearing you loud and clear. To then actually being a chef, right? Because you got to be able to go to the shop and get the right ingredients. That's the knowledge of what. But then you got to get in the kitchen and get it done, act it out. That's the knowledge of how. So I I, I see you nodding here. So we're jiving on this. Yeah. Here's what I would say. They're ultimately tested in their ability to demonstrate action, not in their ability to verbalize it. And so my statement, one sentence to answer your question is the knowledge of what their knowledge of the ingredients is only as important in its ability to get them to express the how and their ability to put it together and act it out. And so you and I both know coaches are guilty of providing more information. That's like saying, hey, here's the five ingredients you need to make pancakes. But then here's the macronutrients, the micronutrients, and here's the cellular makeup of those, right? Sometimes coaches, they overload the athlete. They give them more information, more what than is needed to bring about and express the how. Sure. And so it goes back to principally, I agree with you, but I believe too often coaches double down on the what because they don't know how to communicate in a way that brings nuance to all those ingredients coming together. And that's where my work, I think, if I can be so bold, shines or shines a light on. Yeah. It's trying to bring everything into the oneness again rather than just the parts. So, uh, yeah, okay, so I, I, I think, I think we're, on the, we're on the same track with that then. I guess Love if it. I explain to you maybe how I would potentially do it and you give me your thoughts on it. So using the words that you've used, you've got the what, and in your case, the what is essentially talking about the ingredients. And, and Yep, yep, yep. Typically, I would say the what is the task. Yes. Or, or the component um, rather than the process, if you like. Bingo. So, um, Let's go with the words that you've used and I'll say it right. Here's the task. This is the outcome we're looking for. Mm. The what is the process that you've, that you've just discussed. 
um, and the how is, oh, it's, it's part of that too, really. Um, now, what I tend to do is I will outline the task, I'll set the task, but then I will challenge, and this guy could probably links back into one of my previous questions, is I'll challenge the athlete or the athletes in this case to be more consciously aware of what they're actually focusing on as they're performing the task and yes. what you believe to be the uh, the prioritized variables in this moment, if that makes sense. Yes. Um, so that, you know, what are your thoughts on that firstly? And then the second piece, it, it, actually, let's just start with that. because I, I Yeah, yeah. And, and so let's do this. I'm going to give an example from my world because I'm not a football coach. You are. And then how about you you mirror that with an example from, 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 from football that I'm sure your audience can resonate with. So I'll use one that I think everyone can still resonate with, and that is running, okay, sprinting. Soccer players, footballers have to do it all the time. So here's how I would go about blending the what and the how. Now, for those interested, um, I wrap all this up into what I call a coaching communication loop that, that has the following steps. Describe, demonstrate, in whatever order you'd like, cue it, they do it, and then we debrief it, right? And these are kind of the five reciprocating steps that outline the communication strategies in the right order, right, to get the most out of understanding and action, okay? So let's say I'm working with a football player, American or, 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 or soccer player, whichever you'd like, and we're working on their sprinting. And we recognize that they have one of those temper tantrum running techniques where they take 20 steps in the, in, in the space that they only probably needed to take 10. So they're quick, but they're not powerful. Hopefully everyone's starting to get that rapid type uh, visual in their mind. And so basically I, in a technical sense, what I need them to do better is push for longer, which means we need to see a longer line from head to heel, which means to go into the gradients, I need better hip knee and ankle extension okay now if you just tell an athlete that it's great it starts to put a picture they start but hey i need better hip knee and ankle extension right i'm giving them all these ingredients right it's like trying to hold the oranges the apples the bananas right the kumquat all all when you're shopping you're trying to hold too many things and it gets into a bottleneck and inevitably, what many athletes do is they just drop all that overload. So I have to then give them something. I have to give them an idea. And I like what you said, Yaz, a single focus on the priority that they can actively consider and think about during the movement that helps them move better, unavoidably so. So initially, I say, hey, Yaz, we need to get better hip, knee, and ankle extension. Okay, this is what that looks like. I either demonstrate or I give you a video. What do you think? Any, any, I might say any questions there. No, coach, I'm looking to get faster. Awesome. Dot, dot, dot. Now here's the cue. We described and demonstrated. We had a bit of a dialogue. There's another D for you. The cue is basically all my work is about the cue. It's about the moment before the movement. It's the last thing you say or that you guide them to saying for themselves before they move. And so there's like that dot, 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 that pause, that exhale. Now, yes, to do that, to get the hip, the knee, the ankle, the head, to do all that, I want you to focus on rapidly pushing the ground away. Push the ground away like it is your worst enemy. Push, push, push. 
And so what I've done there is it's what I call Trojan horsing. I've taken all the technical details, right? All the little Trojan horses, all the little ingredients, and I've hid them inside a singular statement that's visually based, that here's the key, here's the word that brings oneness to the movement. Because like it or not, when you reach for your cup of coffee, your glass of water, your pint or your whiskey, you don't say, ah, oh, yeah, shoulder, 10 degrees, elbow, can we go ahead and extend, open up the fingers? Yes, quench thirst, go. That's not how it works. But yeah, as you and I both know, we coach people at times as if they're freaking robots. That A, then to B, then to C, it slows it down, it bottlenecks attention. And ultimately, great athletes who are, uh, if I can use a brave word, it's exaggerated, a victim of bad coaching, are often who become successful are good despite the coach, not because the coach. And so for me, to put a bow on this, describe and demonstrate lays down the what to do. The cue encapsulated it, encapsulates it, excuse me, in a oneness, in a visual, a singular idea that is the pair of glasses with which they look and peer at through and express and feel the movement differently. And that's where understanding comes through. So I'll pause. Yeah. That's my knowledge of what knowledge of how in action. Man, I think, I think that's brilliant. And you kind of just um, teed me up. So first of all, let's, let's just start with a, a, an example that a potentially um, football coach can potentially relate to. So I love what you said there in terms of it being uh, a statement of oneness with a visual representation. And I think that's something that I've really kind of picked up for myself over, over recent years, like I said, initially started off with me just trying to develop an understanding of things for myself. Um, and then potentially now relaying that onto other coaches and athletes to see how the information then translates to them. Uh, and one of the key things I've, I, I, I like to use imagery. Yep. And that's it. You just think about the image nothing else matters because the image, if, if you visualize the image correctly, it, it just makes sense. At least it does for me anyway. So, um, if I just give an example of, we've got two players, one person shutting down the other player. Now, if I'm talking about the, the concept of balance as an example, I might use uh, the, the, the visualization of a spirit level. Mm -hmm. The spirit level, I asked the, asked the athlete, oh, can you just describe to me what, what, you, what you know a spirit level to be? What is yes. it? Um, just so that I can understand where their perception is and make sure we're on the right track, just to see whether the image that I'm giving them is Love it. appropriate for them or and if it's not it might not be that the image is not appropriate but maybe i may be giving more clarity on their understanding because there's been many times where i might give an image and they say oh, i don't even know what that is okay, yeah. no let me show you what it is so i might pull out my phone and bring up an image of it so spirit level describe it to me they might say oh it's, 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 it's the bubble and it's got two lines okay brilliant so now imagine those two lines are your two legs your kneecaps if you like that bubble is your head or your hips however you wish to do it um, just make sure that bubble is always staying in between those two lines. Because what happens if the bubble goes this side? Well, you're going to tilt well, forward or back. And it's likewise, it's other. Whereas if the bubble's in between the like, two lines, you know it's balanced. Love it. Um, so I'll use an example like that. So when you're going to go shut that player down, just make sure your bubble's in between the two lines at all times so that you're not over compensating or you're not undercompensating in any way. And for me, like I said, when I was just thinking, right, how do I make more sense of these things? You know, and where it really changed for me is because previously, when I first started coaching, um, about 
12, 13 years ago. You could talk me through it and I would just understand it. I then had a brief break from coaching for about 18 months. And I found that when I came back to it, I not so much forgot everything I, I, I'd experienced, but I couldn't visualize things in the same way anymore. I couldn't just listen to your instruction and then process it as an image anymore. I actually mm. had to see it now. Yep, yep. Um, which then became a challenge for me because then I now have started consciously having to think, okay, how do I make sense of what this person's saying? Yes, yes. Um, so then that's where I guess this kind of curiosity and this direction really came from me. So I guess that's maybe the image. So, I mean, and I, and I, I would anticipate by your responses that you think that the way in which I may be presented that is, is an effective. I, 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 I hope the listeners can appreciate the, the depth of that in that it's so simple, so simple, but the level of complex information is remarkable in that you, you in, a, in a singular visual, you've given them a, a movement control mechanism that will serve them in nearly every aspect of gameplay. Like that can't be understated. And it is so simple for that because you can then just say balance or level. All of a sudden that, that micro story, that little narrative that you worked with them on can be wrapped into one word. That's the Trojan horse. That's the Trojan horse. And I, th I think the beauty of it for me is that over time, I don't even find... At Parker, our purpose is simple. We want to make the world a better place. By working more efficiently. By using more sustainable practices. By developing better technologies. We keep moving forward. With each new idea, innovation, and partnership, we're one step closer to fulfilling our purpose every single day. To find out more, Visit parker.com slash purpose. Parker, engineering your success. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step -step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. And, and, and this is one of the things I've, I've consciously reflected on is that in the initial stages of maybe when I'm not interacting with a player or after, whether it be a new concept or just a new group of players or whatever, I tend to find that my, my intervention times start off a little bit more lengthier. Of course. Because I'm just now laying out all these images. Um, totally. And it's something that I've been critiqued for and saying, oh, you spend too much time. Like, okay, well, come and watch me again in six, eight or 12 weeks time and let's see how much intervention I have to do then. Um, now, that's one of the challenges. And what I, what I say to coaches is, would you rather spend a little bit more on the front end 
than having to spend equal time every single time you go out there. Yeah. Just because yeah. they don't have the messages, they don't have the understanding of what it is. And the beauty of it is with the image, like you said, I know that they've understood the image now because I've seen them demonstrate it and describe it back to me like you, like you would say. Yes. But the key things for me is when they don't quite get it right and comes back into my previous question is how important is it for them to be the aware of the how? The question I always say to them, right, rather than me giving you information and correcting you on what maybe potentially has gone well or hasn't gone well, the first thing I say to the player, all right, something's just happened. We've done a repetition or a couple of repetitions. Okay, what do, what do you think I'm going to say to you next? Yeah. And now they say, oh, yeah, spirit level. It's got to be spirit level. Okay, brilliant. Nothing else needed to say. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you're on the right track. I don't need to. I don't need to waste my breath. Let's get back on it. You know yeah. what needs to be changed, and I think that comes back to that. Now, one of the other things that you really uh, that you mentioned, I'm not sure if anyone picked up on it, and it's something I've always, or more recently, asked myself is, well, I asked the players to think about, and you can probably appreciate this because you're working in the more physical space. One of the challenges I give athletes to consider or not challenges one of the, the processes i want them to really pay attention to is how do they feel when they're performing the action pay yeah. attention to how you feel and yeah. um i've done no research on this i've done no i've got no background in this or anything like that but it's just something that just makes sense to me yeah i can't explain it um it just makes sense to me like i said maybe it's through my own experiences that this is how i've kind of picked up it picked up on it and then and just kind of then we relay those those bits of information to the athletes that I work with but it's not just how does it make you feel physically how does it make you feel emotionally as you go yeah. through this action yeah yeah now, yeah there's a the follow-on from that would then ask them to consider whenever we're going through any concept the question I need you to be really paying attention to and asking yourself open and honestly is is what I'm saying to you, if it is making you feel uncomfortable, is it making you feel uncomfortable because it's not right for you? Or is it making you feel uncomfortable because it's something that's new to you? Yeah, yeah. And just to kind of just delve deeper into that before I pass it over to you, the, real, the reason why I do that is because I want players to understand that I'm not here trying to give you a set technique. I'm yeah, really trying yeah. To structure you, making you a carbon copy of the next person. But what I want you to do is be open and honest. Ask yourself, right? Okay, accept that a technique I'm giving you, just because I'm the coach and you're the athlete, doesn't mean that the technique I'm giving you is specifically correct. Yeah, that is yeah. going to be the most beneficial thing for you as an individual. So, in collaboration, we need to establish right. What are some of the universal things that we're going to accept that need to be part yeah. of this recipe? And what are some of the things that change this from being maybe a, uh, a a KFC to the local chicken shop? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, wow. So there, there's a lot in there. Yeah, there's, there's probably a few podcasts in just that that little brilliant riff there. And you're pointing to some things that are really important to me as well. So I, I think there's probably tremendous uh, intuitive overlap here in the way we're, we're trying to solve these these problems of of really athlete understanding in all of its guises not, not just one as we've said there's ways of understanding and what i hear from you is you want that 
that participatory understanding. You want them through their action to be able to sense what is going well, what is not. And let's be honest, it's beneficial that they can verbalize it to us, but they don't have to. As long as they have a sense of something and we can communicate via imagery to make change, it doesn't matter that they give us the exact nailed on textbook biomechanical answer. Probably important that we have a sense of that, but I'd argue not so much for the athlete. And this is why many great athletes struggle to go the other way and become coaches because so much of their knowledge is bound up in feel, in emotion, in action, perception, and participation, not so much in proposition. They're not so good at unpacking all the ingredients, macro, micronutrients that underpin the skill they express. And this, that, that is the hallmark of why many uh, great athletes are not great coaches. They don't have enough of the detail to convert their way of knowing into this dual form, which is knowledge of what, my ability to communicate with you, knowledge of how, your ability then to translate it into something you can physically do. So let's zoom in then to two things you've been talking about a lot. That is building this awareness of how a movement feels. And then there's this use of visuals. And you seem to keep, you've even said yourself, intuitively, you don't know why, but you just know that these two things work, that they're important. Well, I think they're, they're heavily connected. They, they share neural real estate within the brain and, and the motor system at large. And so let's start with just visuals. And let me take maybe you and the audience to a bit of an exercise. So I, I call this, let's make a bet. So I want people to imagine they're in Vegas or, you know, at, at their local bet shop and they see this big sign, let's make a bet. And there's a track over to the right. Okay. And you're like, what's this all about? And you walk up to the attendant and they give you this card. They say, hey, listen, there's three coaching cues on this card. Each of these coaching cues is related to you running a 10 meter time out of a static start, two, three, or out of blocks you choose, doesn't matter to us. And each of these cues are something you can think about that you're going to think about when you run it. We want you to bet on which cue is going to make you run the fastest 10 meter time. And so you're going to read all three cues, think about it, and you're going to place a bet. Then you're going to go over to that track and you're going to run three reps, plenty of rest, right? No physical interference. These are all equal. And it's just a matter of which cue works best for you. So you grab the card. Here's the first cue. And you read it. You're like, okay, focus on rapidly extending your knees. And so you kind of run that through your simulator. You sprint. You're like, okay, I'm imagining I'm sprinting because you can't do it yet. So you're imagining you're sprinting. You feel and you sense, okay, rapidly extend knees, extend my knees, extend my knees. Okay, got it. And you read the next cue. Okay, focus on rapidly pushing the ground away. And again, you kind of close your eyes. Like, okay, pushing the ground, pushing the ground. You're comparing now A and B. You're like, okay. Extend the knees, push the ground, which is going to let me run the fastest time. I need that money. Okay, you, you got it. You already know. Like, okay, there's one more. So I'm not going to make my bet yet. You read it. You're like, okay, I want you to imagine we put a rattlesnake right behind your back foot. It's about to bite. Beat the bite. Beat the bite. So you close your eyes. You sense the rattlesnake. You hear the freaking rattle, right? You see the fangs, even though you can't see them. And you feel the energy of beating the bite with every step. So yes, for you, for you, which cue are you betting on? It's got to be the rattlesnake for me. I mean, I think 
one of the things that kind of stood out for me as you was as you're talking through the first two don't really give the whilst they give me some technical information they give me some um potential benefits as to, as to the technique uh, i think the third one the rattlesnake more more important than anything gives me almost that that motivation yep I've yep, got, yep. I, I this is this is do or die <laughs> It's do or die, but also the rattlesnake still supports the technique because to get away, you need that push. You need yeah. that extension that we gave in the example earlier. So hiding inside of the beat the bite analogy is still the knees extending, is still the pushing of the ground. But here's what I'd argue. You said it there. It gave you a visual. You had a sense of it before you had to think about it. You felt what it was meant to do before you had to explain it to me. And so for me, what we're doing is when we give an analogy, that's what these are. Mm. Analogy is a visual. It's a story. And what I'm going to argue is it give, it's a feeling first way of communicating. Sure. And that you feel what the words mean rather than having to intellectually think about them like you're solving a math problem. Sure. Jump in there. I th sorry, just to pause you there, Dick, I think one of the things that really does it, and if I think back in terms of the, the visuals that I try to use, it also doesn't necessarily box in no. working. It just says, right, here's the parameters. Flexible. Flex, isn't it? Absolutely. Absolutely. And so what we're sensing here is, okay, we want to get the athlete to feel the change. And to know when that feeling is right so that they can repeat it. It does us no good if they can tell, goes back to the beginning, it does us no good if they can tell without the show. It's show and tell. But really in our sports, it's, it really is just show. Tell is great, but it is about the show. And so if I can communicate in the same common currency, the feeling, and use words that translate into feeling, now I'm speaking directly to your motor system. I'm speaking directly to and through your movement. And now rather than saying, do you understand? I say, how does that cue make you feel? Wow. Such a pivot, such a pivot from the intellectual biased way of communicating that is almost about logic and rational discourse and explanation. But people have to remember is language is not a proxy for reality. Language is not a proxy for experience. It is a, a, a crude measure at that. It crumbs, language is clues. It just gives us enough so that we can then start to understand each other. But without experience, without feeling, without applying things, far more difficult. This is why many people, when they have a writer's block, they have to move. They go on a walk. They have to get out. They have to get in nature. They are inspired by action because experience is the complete essence of humanity. Language is only a very small snippet of how we can point you towards that. But analogy seems to be something that gets as close as we can to reality mm. via language because it leverages images that are imbued with experiential reference and the emotions that come along with them. I totally agree with you. And I guess the, the question that kind of just pops up for me now, and it's something I've had a discussion with coaches before, if I reflect back again on my own coaching staff, it might be a little bit slow. And I might, let's just say for argument's sake, in a 30 minute 
session it's probably not even anywhere near this or let's just say I get a hundred repetitions of an action and the coach next to me is doing the same 30 minutes but they're getting 200 repetitions of action my thought is always well I'd rather have the hundred repetitions that are being done with ultimate focus ultimate um, you know attention to detail and maybe not absolute but as close to absolute clarity for the athlete as possible around the action the task yeah. and the understanding because there's no point in me doing an extra 100 reps if they have none of that yep yep so i have a, i have a an, an analogy that expresses that you know i i always when i present i used to do this i'd have to say okay how many of you in the audience have been on over you know, 50 flights, hands go up. Okay. Keep them up. If you've been on over a hundred mm. hands go down. Okay. Keep them up. If you've been over 500 more hands go down. You keep up. If you think you've been on a thousand flights and there's usually like a handful left. Say, okay. They pick someone. Yes. Stand up. Say, yes. You've been on over a thousand flights. That's a lot of repetitions of flying. Okay. Can you go ahead and recite the safety briefing verbatim for us? And the crowd gets a laugh and the point is quickly made that just because you rep something out, just because you are exposed to something repetitively does not guarantee that you take or learn from it. And so for me in my own work, probably the quote that I have that's used more than any other is attention is the currency of learning. Uh -huh. And so it's not enough just to be there in body. I also have to be there in mind. And so with great coaching comes the responsibility of helping the athletes invest their attention with great clarity mm. and this goes right on back to the to the work of the late Anders Ericsson and deliberate practice and that I must have a clear deliberate focus that focus must be embedded on something that's at the right level of challenge mm. right there needs to then be immediate feedback relevant to the efficacy of that focus in terms of the outcome I'm trying to achieve. And so 200 mindless reps when I'm a novice probably works because there's enough novelty in the reps alone to be keeping me engaged and interested. But at a premiership academy level, a 23 year old right on the cusp to then actual an elite player, yeah. it's not enough. It has to be about quality of reps People throw that term around, quality, quality, but rarely do we actually talk about what the heck does quality mean. And Yaz, what you're talking about is the, is the heartbeat of the quality. It's how you place your attention rep to rep. And I, I, I think the way you, in which you've just explained it, I think is, is a great way because it actually then just paints the picture on understanding actually it's what's in the pie rather than how many pies we've got. Yeah. Um, and I think... That's the difference because, you know, if I've got this one dish, it becomes more valuable rather than a hundred that doesn't do, you know, I think I'm just going through this conversation thinking about it. People are probably going to listen to this thinking all these guys are talking about images, visuals. And for me, it just makes sense. I guess, you know, the, the, the kind of follow-up piece and one of the things that I think has really stood out for me as well is throughout this, we haven't really um, mentioned it, but a lot of this is really about developing and checking understanding yes now 
I'm not sure about yourself, but I like to often ask the question rather than do you understand, like I said, I might ask the question of, you know, can you, are you able to explain to me what I'm, what I'm looking for? Yeah. Can yeah. You, can you, or if, or if I'm speaking to a group, maybe I might say, right, rather than, you know, does everyone understand? It might be, um, can I get a show of hands for anyone that feels they can confidently explain back to me what I'm looking for? Yep. Love that. Or That's great. Can you keep your hands up if you have an idea, but you're not sure? Yep. Um, just so it kind of gives me an opportunity to kind of gauge within that. Now, one of the things that I, I guess I've noticed in my experiences, though, is that in coaches doing that and just in asking questions generally, which end up being um, more closed and open in often case, is through maybe a, a lack of confidence in their own understanding of what they're asking athletes to do. Certainly, certainly. Um, and in particular their lack of vulnerability in understanding that actually they don't have all the answers and it's okay to un to not have perfectly communicated every single message. Yep. Yep. So I guess on that then, is there any particular questions which you uh, like to use with the athletes that you work with or questions that you might ask coaches to consider using yep. maybe better check understanding and offer them more of a platform to actually have an open and honest dialogue with athletes and maybe just before you get onto that maybe just give us your thoughts on how important it is for yep. to have that yep so there's in my own coaching journey i have found that more of my communication comes in the form of questions and facilitation because no matter how expert I am in what I'm coaching they in this case the athlete is the expert in their ability to understand and apply it and so every single time I meet an athlete I am a novice as a coach in communicating with them until we start to create shared meaning which means we're dialoguing not monologuing as a coach and so I think questions are by way of analogy, the equivalent to mining the athlete for their desires, their experiences, their preferences, their likes, their dislikes. And in doing so, I can then use that information like a refinery. I can refine that information down into the gems, into the nuggets I'm going to use to communicate movement to them. Because that's what we're talking about here, yes. We're, we're talking about how do we speak movement? How do we speak movement in an unavoidable way that they understand and apply? So a few things, and then to the questions, about questions. As you mentioned earlier to the listener, the other some of visuals, I want to reinforce the, to the listener that we are strictly here committed to an and solution, not an or solution. And that is for the coach listening who is, based their career on just explaining what to do, giving technical information, outlining the task and the drill and the detail. That's great. Nobody wants that to be canceled or deleted. But rather what we're saying is there's an and. There's another layer to that, right? You build the house. Then you, that's the framing. Then you put up the walls. Inevitably, you paint the walls. And what we're talking about here is how do you paint the walls? How do you put the color? How do you 
put the sofa. How do you make the room feel comfortable, familiar? That's what analogies are. That's what visuals are. It makes you want to live in that headspace. And so it's an and, not an or. Now, questions. I have four categories that I like to think about when it comes to the use of questions. And now here, yes, I'm using questions to get to the words that work, to, to actually get to the cues, to get to the ideas they can use while they move to move better. And so number one is listen. And it's so simple to say, but if I'm going to listen, I need to be listening for something. So what am I listening for? Well, for me, when I say listen, I'm listening for words you use. I'm listening for phrases, anecdotes, stories. Even if you're warming up with your fellow athletes and I'm just on the fringe there waiting to get the session going, I'm just scanning, listening. What are people talking about? What are the video games they're interested in? What's pop culture that's currently relevant right now? What are the access points to their psyche? Because if attention is the currency of learning, motivation is the currency of attention. I only pay attention to things that are interesting, that are motivating, that connect to my why, and that I find fun. And so, so much of that is embedded inside the athlete's head. And so we have to listen. And this is where just asking questions at the interpersonal level, get to know the athlete, right? That's level one. Once I'm used to doing that, level two is mirroring. Okay, and we've, and actually you and I have done a good job of this. And so let's say I give you a cue, yeah, as I say, okay, hey, on your sprinting, I need you to focus on pushing the ground away. I might say to you, I might ask you one of the following questions. What does that mean to you? Or, hey, put that into your own words. Or how does that cue make you feel? So those are three different ways of asking the same kind of question. Now, what do I mean by mirroring? Well, I'm going to listen to what you say. And if I said, focus on pushing the ground away, and you say to me, you want me just to be explosive off the ground, I'm going to mirror your words. I'm going to say exactly yes. I want you to be explosive off the ground. I'm not going to force feed you with push the ground away anymore. I'm taking your verb and your verbiage, your verb, action word, and your verbiage, and I'm going to mirror it back. And I use mirroring not only in that specific example, but also if I just hear the way you're talking about what we're doing to each other, I'm going to start using their words, not mine. Okay. So that's mirror. So we, we've listened. That's all the time we're listening, getting to know the athlete. Then we start to mirror. We mirror generally, but then we mirror specifically by posing that question related to our cue, related to our comment. Level three then is choice. Okay. Once the athlete has enough experience, they've built up enough knowledge of what, to, to use your phraseology from earlier, then I want to start to involve them more. And so I might say, hey, on this next drill, even if I have 10 people, we've got three different ways to think about this. Okay, let's say it's your balance example. We can be our, our what did you call it? You call it, you have a different name for it here. A spirit, what? A spirit yeah, level? level? Spirit okay. level. So I say, okay, option number one is to think of yourself like a spirit level. Head is the bubble, feet are the lines, right? Keep the bubble in between. Or option two is work in a hallway. Yeah, work in a hallway. Your, your feet are the walls, right? Your head is you walking down the hallway. Keep yourself in the hallway. And 
The third one might be cliff. Okay. Your left and right foot are a cliff's edge. Your head represents you. Stay between the cliff's edge. So right there, I just riffed on your analogy. I've never thought about that analogy because I don't teach football and that skill. But there you go. There's three analogies. Pick the one you want. I might say, Yaz, which one do you want? You're like spirit level. You know, Johnny, which one do you want? Now I'm staying off the cliff, right? Susie, which one do you love? I'm staying in the hallway. It, it's three ways. It's like moving into a house. I want to paint the walls green. You want to paint them blue. It doesn't matter. It's the same freaking walls, same meaning. Let them choose the words that work for them. And so that's what I call choice. And then the final one is create. And this is what you're pointing to, I think. If you say, listen, for us to be balanced, we want to keep our head and shoulders inside our stance, inside our feet at all times. And I might say to you, I want you to take a minute here, chat with your fellow player, come up with one or two ideas that you think will help you do that better. And then we do a quick little share. Right. So that's like the ultimate level of questioning where you give them the keys to the car, the keys to the kingdom, because, you know, they've earned the right. So we listen all the time. We mirror all the time. We use strategic choice to involve them and we let them create to involve them. So those are my those are my go to four strategies that I use to communicate how I use questions in pursuit of getting to the words that work. And I think, you know, one of my net, one of my questions was going to be how, you know, how do we not package this up for coaches to kind of take away and work with? And I think you've just done it there brilliantly. And I think one of the key things for me really kind of maybe touch base on there is step one, step two has to happen. I think the power of that is that you, you, you cut through a lot of the, a lot, a lot of the, a lot of the mess by just giving it to them in a way that they're already communicating. Bingo. You know, they, they, you know, if, if, if they're really speaking English and you can now give them some of those words in English, give it to them in English. You know, yep. there's nothing bringing a new, new language to it. As long as the messages are understood. Um, and I think that's what it is. So sometimes I've actually found myself in doing exactly what you said and I'll give them a concept and I'll say to them, if I, if I give you this image, what do you think of? And, or if I, if I explain this to you, can you, you know, what comes to mind for you when you, when you think of that? Um, and then they'll come up with something that might be slightly different to what I've said. You know, if, if what I've said to you makes sense, keep it. If you feel like you feel like there's another, there's another visual, another image that might make more sense to you or easier for you to remember, let's work with that. Um, and the beauty of that as well is for me as the, as the coach is they're now potentially giving me another image that I can use with someone else. Bingo. Um, and, it, you know, the, it's just it's just a two-way process. And, you know, we, 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 it's collaboration at its finest, in, in my opinion. And... The creation, the creation piece, I think is is even is even more crucial because actually now that's them essentially allowing you to check understanding. Hmm. B, them being able to express it in a way that actually, I'm now thinking one step ahead. I'm thinking, okay, well now I know that you can explain it. I don't even have to coach it. So if we get now into a situation where we're working in a group setting. I can just say it right, Nick. Do you want to just go and help so and so over there with that explanation that you gave me the other day? Give them, you know, what was the analogy that you used? Now, one of my, you know, one of the favorite quotes that I like is, you know, if you get if you teach someone something, you get to learn it twice. Yep, I love that. Yep. So now I'm giving you an opportunity to further clarify your understanding by helping someone else understand it. Now I just stand back and just watch it. 
absolutely unfolds and unpacks in front of my eyes and I'm just thinking well, this is brilliant and then eventually you get to the point where I've been in, involved in situations with parents looking at me thinking, when are you going to start coaching yeah have these people developed whilst they've been here yes okay so what's the issue yeah, yeah it's, it's you know we're chasing the wrong priorities it's mm. you know we we value how much is being said if a coach does not appear to be constantly communicating and directing they're not seen to be coaching they're not seen to be adding value and mm. it's it's a complete misconception because Learning is always an individual process, right? I cannot learn for you. And learning must happen in the space between my instruction ending and your doing, yeah. right? As long as I'm talking, I become your subconscious. I distract you from your own source of truth. I'm a proxy for understanding but I'm not your understanding. And they knew this back in the seventies. It was called the guidance hypothesis where there would be coach dependence that athletes would become so dependent on the reminders, prompts, and feedback of the coach. They never learned to own it themselves. Mm. And that's why when I talk about learning, I like to put it in a more pragmatic phrase. It's own the change. Does the athlete own the change? They can't express their ownership of anything. If I'm the one talking and telling, they got to be the one telling and showing. And so I'm, I'm with you 100%. But it's also, it's our responsibility as, as individuals that are thinking about this in a, an evolved, progressive manner, not to give ourselves too much credit, to explain it to others that have not come on to these ideas. Right. I have athletes that at times would expect more talking and instructing. Uh, parents, as you mm -hmm. say, other coaches, the, the, in my case, sport coaches possibly. Yeah. And so I think sometimes it's our responsibility to bring them along the journey as well. Yeah, 100%. I think one of the things that's worked for me, and I, I would encourage um, coaches to do, regardless of how it is that you do want to coach, and it's just really about setting expectations from the start. Yes. This is how I plan on working. This is what you can expect from me. Uh, and it might be different to what you've experienced in the past, but just work with me. Yep. Work with me. And if it doesn't work, we'll, we'll, we'll explore that. But let's, let's, and the thing that um, I've understood that it's done for me is by having that approach, it somewhat um, allows the, the, you know, the recipient of the, of the message to feel that actually we're on this journey together. It's not you telling me what to do and just hoping, hoping it's going to work out. No, actually, the same way you're learning, I'm learning. But the, the difference is, my learning is going to be based around your interaction and your your response to what I'm saying and how we're, how we're doing that. And I'm only going to get success if you get the success you're looking for. Yep, so absolutely. On this journey, um, understand that it's going to, it, it might look one way today, it might look another way in two weeks' time. But actually, as long as we're having that open dialogue and that, that, that communication, we're on the right track. Yeah, awesome. No, I, I, I couldn't agree more. I think you, you, you do that and then you then you go to work. It's a, it's a dance right? with all all these with all these principles in hand. You still got to go to work. It's like farming. You're still going to get up. You got to milk the cows. You got to get the eggs. You got to till the field. It takes work because, as I said, every athlete makes a novice of a coach. 
Mm. Every new athlete makes a novice of a coach because they're the expert in them and you're trying to learn how to get to them. hundred percent. Nick, you know, I think, I think we've covered a lot there and, you know, I think you're right. You, you probably, we could probably sit here and talk for hours on this and, you know, there's still so much to unpack within all the little, the nuances of what we've discussed so far. Um, but it has been a really insightful conversation. I'm sure there's going to be plenty of things for people to kind of take away and think about applying if they're not already applying. Absolutely. Um, just, but just, you know, just on a, on a, on a final note to kind of look to round up, maybe just share with the, um, with the listeners where they potentially could get access to some yeah. of the you put out, your book. Um, maybe just tell us a little bit about that and then before we do anything else. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thanks. So, the book is The Language of Coaching, The Art and Science of Teaching Movement. Um, I do say it from the outset that the context or the examples, rather, I use within the book are, are general movement-based. Um, however, the book is universally written for anyone who is in the profession of teaching movement. And so football coaches would certainly fit the bill there. And so Language of Coaching, it's Amazon, all, all the various places you'd look for it. but for individuals that want to start to build their knowledge right now uh, and, and even possibly want something to go alongside the book in more of a visual medium, thelanguageofcoaching.com is, is, is the website. All my videos are open source, plenty of lectures on this chapter by chapter video series as well. So all that's open for people to start to, to engage on. And, you know, if individuals want to get a hold of me, it's info at thelanguageofcoaching.com. And then at Nick Winkleman for any of the, the, the fresh sparks of, uh, of insight on Twitter and Instagram. So, Awesome. Thank you very much for that, Nick. Nick I just want to say thank you again for, for today. I think, like I said, it's been a fascinating conversation. And it's great to kind of speak to someone who's thinking about things in the way that you are. Um, I love how you talked about, you know, right from the start of the conversation, talking about, the, you know, it chose you. You didn't choose it. Your curiosity yeah. came, kept on coming back to this piece. And I, I guess from that, what I would just encourage coaches to start to think about is what is the bit that really gets you with your coaching? You know, it's a question I've asked a lot of coaches all the time. And what makes you stand out? What yeah. makes you different? You know, what is it? What is, if, if you had to describe your coaching, how would you do it? Yeah. Yeah. And, Absolutely. And I think that's really key. So, I mean, Thank you for the thank you for that, Nick. It's been really fascinating. Um, I really hope you enjoyed it too, um, and I and I wish you all the success. And hopefully, we can still keep spreading the message. Yes, I must I must say this has been one of the most enjoyable conversations I've had on well, just full stop, let alone on a podcast. So thank you, and keep it up, keep it up. It's great. Really enjoyed it. Awesome. Well, there you have it guys, another episode of the Coaches Network podcast, where our aim is to bring the world of athlete, talent and personal development together to just one platform. And you can help us with that mission right now by sharing this episode or any of your favourite episodes with everyone that you can think of. You can tag us in those mentions as well on Instagram at the Coaches Network or on Twitter at the Coaches Net. We look forward to hearing from you. Let us know what you thought about today's episode. And until next time, guys, take care. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. 
Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Save big on brunch for mom, all in the Kroger app. Get half gallons of delicious Kroger milk for $1.29 each. Then get flavorful Tyson natural boneless chicken breasts for $2.49 a pound, all with your card and a digital coupon. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.